7 o'clock, Psycho sees Santa's workshop, and only Lee Majors yes. can stop them. In the night, the reindeer die. Be here. You can't show that commercial. That thing looked like the, the Manson family Christmas special. Think I'm way off base? Yes, you're, well, you're a tad off base, sir. Frank Cross is more than the youngest network president in television history. Call security. Have them change his locks and toss him out of the building. Oh, he's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call the county. Stop his bonus. Oh, watch out. Ah! He's a thoughtful boss. Thanks, boys. Get the nurse. A generous brother. What did he give you last year? Uh, I don't remember. A shower curtain. Did you hear him? I think you dropped something here. And a true humanitarian. I can't get the antlers glued onto this little guy. We've tried crazy glue. Maybe tried staples. But his life is about to change. That was a good one. You are going to be visited by three ghosts tomorrow at noon. God, tomorrow's bad for me, Lou. As a matter of fact, the whole rest of the week is a washout. Hey, everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the show for another episode looking at another Christmas Carol version with another episode suggested by our co-host. Today's being the 1988 film Scrooged, starring Bill Murray, brought to us by Nikki from Trivial Theater. I'd heard of this movie before, but I really had no idea what it was beyond a modern-day adaptation starring Bill Murray. But of course, I'm always down for another version of A Christmas Carol, so when Nikki suggested this one, I was totally in, and for this one, truly going in blind. I literally had no idea what I was in for, and this movie was like nothing I expected it to be. So, I feel like... I have mixed feelings about this film. I can see that. And it's definitely going back and watching it. Like I remember watching this as a kid and just like the over the top elements of it, like spoke to me so much rewatching it as an adult. And I have watched it a couple of times, but it's been a couple years and it definitely like, like the last probably 15 minutes, just they needed a, they needed a different editor that wasn't like completely like into that zone because that bit was just too much. <laughs> yeah it was i hesitate to call it insane but it felt oh, it was insane. like you There's were going no crazy <laughs> <laughs> i mean the whole movie was kind of like that in certain ways but oh yeah and was, then the thing about this is yeah the thing that that i realized and i guess i mean i've watched a lot of like 80s movies but this is a very distinctly 80s movie you know, yeah. just the the over the topness, the the surreal nature of all of it. Even though it's set in the quote unquote real world, it does have a lot of elements that go okay. It, this is an '80s inspired thing. Yeah. Or actually, and it isn't '80s inspired. Is it? It is '80s, but. Yeah, I know what you mean. A lot of it, I couldn't tell whether it was being serious or whether it was being played for a joke. Especially, well, we can just get into the movie, especially yeah. this beginning scene, because I couldn't tell if he was, like, trying to be funny for all these TV execs, or if he was, like, literally insane. <laughs> I, I think um, Frank Cross's character, I think, was, are, are you talking about the, um, like, the, the promos at the open, or are you talking about the... Uh, I'm talking about the... his reaction to the promos. Let, well, let's talk about the promos at least the first one first right. because i love the promos I love like... the santa thing <laughs> <laughs> oh 
<laughs> so good. <laughs> the the movie opens like it's some sort of fantasy Santa film. There's like an elf choir or something singing cute Christmas music here at the North Pole. And then suddenly there's like gunfire and explosions. <laughs> and then it's supposed to be a commercial for the $6 million man, which was a, a show around that time. And I think it was the actual person from the show. Oh, yeah, Lee Majors. And it was so weird and hilarious that I actually want that to be a movie. Oh, totally. And that's the thing with you look at like um, the Grindhouse movies or um, any of these things that have fake movie trailers or fake TV trailers in them. They sound like they make them so intriguing. You want to see them real. Like I would even be up for a Robert Goulet Christmas with a with a with a alligator following him. oh yeah <laughs> but that first one it was like it was like um like like terminator meets you know christmas essentially but it was so mm. like over the top and corny it was awesome yeah it, when the when the things first started falling out of the sky i was like is this supposed to be an 80s remake of santa conquers the martians <laughs> <laughs> because i'd be down for that too (laughs) all of a sudden like a really stupid boxy um (laughs) robot comes through the front door (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then it was the there was the the robert goulet christmas cajun christmas special and then there was father loves beaver (laughs) and i think that was i've never seen the show it's leave it to beaver leave it to beaver so the kid is the kid is nicknamed beaver i'm not i don't i've never seen leave it to beaver but it was like it it very much plays on the snl thing from that yeah yeah so i so i i figured i knew what they were referencing but the one that stood out to me was the santa thing i want the santa thing to be real (laughs) (laughs) i guarantee you there's probably something like that out there oh probably but it's a matter of finding it (laughs) Yeah, they're they're doing this whole TV lineup preview thing, and then all these execs are looking to Frank, who is the Scrooge character, expectantly. And then he's like, it's like he's practicing smiling into a mirror in a drawer, which I didn't understand. <laughs> and... <laughs> he's trying to be like, because he, he wears such a veneer of like, like, you're going to, I need to make them believe me. Like, it's it's a weird kind of thing because it is very much of that era like because it is set so it's set in like a, a big um network tv station thing and uh he he's you know he's like a slimy like head producer guy but mm-hmm. he's trying to be like hey you know what these things are trash but let me show you something that's gonna rock or whatever <laughs> and he didn't even do a good job at that no, and that over-the-top stuff was definitely, uh, I don't know. I think that the explosions that were coming out of the Santa, the opening Santa thing with Lee Majors would have been ideal for what they were looking for. <laughs> totally. That looked amazing. I would still yeah. watch that. Absolutely so. But then he asks to see the Scrooge promo, and this is another thing that I want to be real. <laughs> because it's this whole thing is supposed to be live and they say something like live via satellite all these places and then including the great barrier reef for some reason (laughs) but 
the Scrooge special stars Buddy Hackett as Scrooge. And Mary Lou Retton as little as Tiny Tim. <laughs> Which I, I didn't get at first, so I paused the movie and looked her up because I was like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? And she's a gymnast. Yep. So I just started laughing. And then they explain it later in the movie why this is a, a terrible choice for Tiny Tim. But I just, <laughs> that was so weirdly hilarious that they would think casting a literal gymnast as a as a little boy with a broken leg i guess he's crippled what yeah, everything's crippled, wrong with with tiny tim they would cast this amazing gymnast <laughs> <laughs> which was hilarious well around that time and i'm not sure 100 when it came out but there's a movie that came out called jim kata and it's a it's a cult movie classic but it, it um so there was a, a gymnast a male gymnast that had just come off like winning however many gold medals and they um they got him into this action movie because you know the name recognition of oh my god this gymnast of the moment dude could not act to save his life <laughs> like and they built like gymnast props into the scene so there's a scene where it's essentially i think it's supposed to be like the the back side of like a the wall outside of a well but it's essentially a pommel horse so he's sitting there like <laughs> kicking everybody around him on this pommel horse essentially that sounds <laughs> horrible and i kind of want to see it <laughs> <laughs> you're coming over to the dark side i'm, I'm very excited about that <laughs> it's definitely a movie to check out because it's it's um it, it's so sincere and and like he's so sincere the movie itself I, I don't know so much about but that part he just he's there to do his thing he's there to be a gymnast you know slash mm -hmm. whatever else and it's hilarious Another thing that I found hilarious was their catchphrase in the commercial for this special. They said, Scrooge, it will touch your every heartstring. <laughs> I'm like, what? I don't want my every heartstring touched. Well, why not? What What do you have against your heartstrings getting some extra touching? It just is the most off-putting way of putting what they were trying to say. But that goes to show you kind of like the way that they marketed stuff in the 80s. Like, oh, well, people, you know, we want to touch someone's heartstring. Let's touch all of their heartstrings. Forget <laughs> just the one. Let's touch all of them. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you'll love it. Yule, Y-U-L-E, <laughs> which is a terrible pun. And they kept saying it over and over and over. <laughs> Like any good station at the time did. For, and I will say, for whatever this movie is, and I, you know, you, you hear more stories about, like, like uh, broadcasting cable channels in, in that era. Like, you know, kind of the corporate aspect of them. But I do mm -hmm. think that, I, I'm assuming that this was at least some of the intent, was to show off that that, that nature of a, of a, of a, big, a big broadcast station. Mm-hmm. Because there were a lot of, you know, things that, you know, you always hear talked about in that respect. Mm -hmm. I also, I liked his reaction afterwards where it looks like he's being a warm and genuine and he's like, oh my gosh, does that suck? <laughs> <laughs> I just burst out laughing. <laughs> And I, I don't know, I don't know how to, 
looking at what Bill Murray has done, and I know that this movie is is kind of one of those things. Like it's not the greatest movie in the world, but I do think he was perfect for this role. Like you yeah, could look probably. at this, and you could look at like his role in um, Ghostbusters, and there's a lot of that same kind of like, okay, there's some good in him, but he's also kind of an asshole kind of a thing. Mm. or that that kind of like he's got those elements of like there's just a little sliminess to him mm-hmm. a little bit i don't know maybe i'm maybe Look, i'm overstating a lot it. of sliminess to him in this in this one very much so yeah and this is this is the point where i'm confused as to whether he's like trying to be funny or if he's like genuinely insane because he's like furious about how much they've spent on this special and this advertising that he hates and he says now i have to kill all of you and for a minute i was wondering is he actually going to murder these people (laughs) and then he looks up at this terrifying painting that looks like a picasso pig woman and he says mother help me (laughs) and i'm like what Actually, that painting is called Woman with an Artichoke. <laughs> it's, it's real? They didn't make it for this movie? Apparently not, according to is what... Is it a uh, real Picasso? Tribute. Yeah, yeah. Four oh, copies wow, of okay. Pablo Picasso's 1942 painting, Woman with an Artichoke, were made for the scene... Wait a minute. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. I'm just reading this. Four copies of Pablo Picasso's 1942 painting, Woman with an Artichoke, were made for a scene that was never shot. Well, even if this is a copy, it's still it's still funny that it was a real painting. I thought it was something that they painted for this movie. Either way, it was if it's that, then yeah, it was actually a Picasso. But that was one of the main things. It was like, is this guy trying to be funny or is he crazy? I, I think he was probably a little bit of both because he just given the kind of he's probably like, oh, I wish I could kill you but I'm going to make your life hell because you didn't give me what I want. Mm -hmm. Like he's only like, he's I'm kidding. Or I'm going to like, you know, when you say to someone, I'm going to kill you. And yeah, my assumption is he's, he's kidding or it's an empty threat, but it's not an empty threat kind of a thing. Yeah. I know what you mean. He's saying it because he wishes it could be true. Exactly. There's a different, I'm not sure what exactly his role is, but the character's name is Elliot Loudermilk. Played by Bobcat Goldthwait. Yes. I didn't recognize him at first because his voice is not... His voice didn't get to the Bobcat Goldthwait that I recognize until the end of the movie. <laughs> where he goes. Where he brings out the, his inner Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah. So I didn't recognize him at the beginning. Yeah, he was. It was weird to see him look like a like an accountant, he, like a human being. Yeah, <laughs> he had a suit, glasses. He just looked like a normal a normal guy. Yeah, he but looked he, like um Rick Mor- Rick Moranis actually. Oh, he did kind of. Yeah, he probably would have been good in this part too. Uh, I don't know. Well, in well, that part, to, yeah. At the, the end, end at the end, Bobcat Goldthwait was perfect. So maybe not. Anyway, he's talking about how they've been running this spot for a month and people are really excited about watching this special. But Frank is like, that's not enough. People have to be terrified that they're going to miss it. And then he flicks the guy's ear and while he's yelling at him. 
and the, there's another guy who's like laughing out loud at that for some reason, which I didn't understand. Because the, the studio execs. The other guy's like never seen again, or maybe he's in the background, but he's not a main character at all. No. He's basically a yes man, I think, more than anything else. Like, a, you know, unfeeling, like mm. supposed to show off that unfeeling kind of nature. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm assuming. There's a couple of random things that I noticed in this scene, too. They had Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol playing on one of the screens in the background, which is another version that I've done with Rachel Wagner. And then, this is completely random, but I noticed a bottle of San Pellegrino on the table, and it looks exactly the same as the San Pellegrino you can buy today, so they have not updated their packaging at all. (laughs) Hey, classics don't change. I mean, Coca-Cola hasn't changed. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But still, that goes. That is an interesting thing to note, and well worth noting. Yeah, because so many brands get overhauled these days. It just was interesting that this bottle on the table from the '80s looks exactly the same as what you can get in the store today. The question is: Is the product inside the same? I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just mineral water usually, unless it's yeah. like lemon flavored. True, it's it's extra filtered now for more for more greater freshness than previously. Mm, maybe. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored by San Pellegrino. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I happen to be drinking right now. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, <laughs> I'm drinking Guava Sao Paulo Lacroix. Ooh, so LaCroix nice. could sponsor us too if they wanted. Hey, that'd be good. I'm just drinking tap water, <laughs> but I'm drinking it out of an A and W mug. So like okay. that would be cool. I I wouldn't mind being sponsored by A and W or Big Tap. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Anyways, Frank says that he has a different way of advertising the special, and he plays this incredibly random commercial, showing shots of like terrorism exploding planes drugs violence and he's like really excited about this thing he's like mouthing along with the words and it ends saying that you don't want to miss scrooge because your life might just depend on it (laughs) (laughs) it's like what does any of this have to do with scrooge which i guess is the point because they're asking him that but like how does he think that this is a good idea at all but i think again it goes it harkens back to that era you know the like and and you still see it today with a lot of network shows there's that one thing that draws people in for like you know the biggest reveal of the season i mean it everything Mm. is superlative and has that level of you cannot miss this now obviously with streaming and those kinds of services it it makes a lot of that you know kind of you know moot Mm -hmm. but back then especially where something was live i mean it was you know you miss this everyone at the office is going to be talking about it and you're going to be completely out of the loop as to what's going on Mm. this just took it to the nth degree oh yeah but again that was you know and again i don't know how much this was aware of it i i think it would have to be sort of aware of it but it is making quite a statement on TV and the nature of a lot of that stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> and they come back to that, that commercial and what it does over the course of the, of the entire uh, movie too. So. 
Yeah. It is a thing that's set up and paid off yeah, at least. It is. So the main the main guy speaking out against this is that Elliot Loudermilk character. And so he ends up getting fired. And for some reason, up until now I had seen his secretary here, but when he got fired, I just assumed that that meant that he was the Bob Cratchit character. I don't know why, but, and then you keep seeing him later and he's like getting drunk and he's like on the streets and I'm like, this is a really weird direction to take Bob Cratchit. But then (laughs) I realized much later, oh wait, Grace is Bob Cratchit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they do some, they do some interesting little side things with, with this character, like um, Bill Murray, well, uh, Frank Cross gets such I did the same of... thing. I called him Bill Murray throughout my notes <laughs> and then I'd go back and change it. <laughs> no, that's 100% cool. I mean, I think as long as you, you know, you know that the this guy plays that character, but he just takes such delight in seeing the absolute desolation of someone's life. Because uh-huh. not only was uh, Elliot Loudermilk fired, he was fired on Christmas Eve. And as he's yeah. going out to his car with this, or out to the, the, um, street with this box of stuff he's talking about oh my wife will understand but we'll just have to you know go on one income like he's trying to go through all of the all the things he's going to try and say and all this kind of stuff and and he just kind of goes down he goes down hard and fast Mm -hmm. but through this we get to know grace a little bit more and (laughs) he he sees a drawing hanging on her wall of her Something her kid drew, I think, of Santa and Mrs. Claus. And he's critiquing it because Mrs. Claus has 11 fingers. And he crumples (laughs) up the kid's drawing. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) they really want to play up how evil this guy is. Oh, they totally do. They totally do. Like, it's it's over the top, but it's over... Again, I I think it's very over the top, but in a very 80s way. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, there was nothing subtle. I mean, they don't just, you know, tap you on the head with a mallet. You're hit over the head with a giant <laughs> sledgehammer with every part of this movie. Mm-hmm. I should probably say too, Grace is played by Alfre Woodard, who I've, I really like. Oh yeah. And she was probably the most grounded thing in this movie. Yeah. By far, <laughs> by far. <laughs> so the next scene is him putting together his Christmas list of what he's going to be buying for his colleagues and family members. Basically, his brother is the only family member. And his brother is the nephew Fred of this movie. So, basically, he's only buying either a towel or a VHS player. And the towel has the logo of the broadcast company in it. So it's a very cheap thing. Probably some free promo giveaway. And... The VHS player seemed like an odd gift, but I I started thinking about it. I was like, I guess at the time that probably was a higher end thing. So that's probably a good gift. But it just seemed kind of weird. It was going back and forth between (laughs) towel, VHS, towel, VHS. And even Grace got the towel. So (laughs) he played no favorites, even with someone who should have been a favorite. You'd think so for all that she does. For all that she put up with. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if someone would have grabbed my kid's drawing and ripped it up, yeah, we would have, we, we would be having issues. Yeah. And then his boss shows up. 
Oh god, I love his boss so much. <laughs> his boss is kind of weird, but in a different way. He's like going on this tangent about scientists saying that dogs and cats are starting to watch TV, so they need to start creating programming for them so that in 20 years they'll have regular viewers from the nation's house pets or whatever. <laughs> and, and I loved his reaction to this. He's, he's like whispering to Grace, call the police. <laughs> Actually, fun fact. So one of the trivia things is um, as of 2015, there were several dog and cat specific channels on Roku. I believe it. I've yes, seen I've seen videos on YouTube that are specifically tailored to cats. But it's kind of interesting even though they're for cats, I kind of like them. And for a while, I was putting them on just as background noise because it's just like they've set up a camera by a bird feeder and you're just watching birds and you get bird nice. noises and nature noises. And it's just kind of relaxing. Hey, that's awesome. And they play for hours. Like they've set up this camera and it just records everything. So it's, yes, it's for cats, but anybody can enjoy them. Oh, yeah. But that's not what he had in mind, because he's talking about putting in cat-friendly content into television shows, like having a detective whose main weird quirk is that he plays with a piece of string so that cats, cats will be drawn to this program for some reason. <laughs> And then into the screwed or into the Christmas Carol special, they were going to put a couple of dormice. Yeah, because he was talking about like, isn't there a dormouse in, in the story? I'm like, they're mixing up Alice in Wonderland <laughs> with a Christmas Carol, <laughs> which was kind of hilarious to me personally. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, then that get that gets brought up again later. Those poor dormouses. Yeah. Mice. Yeah. Dormice. <laughs> Apparently, they need antlers for some reason. <laughs> They're well, you gotta about, like, get them all gluing them on their head, and yeah, and he's wanting to staple them onto the head. But <laughs> yeah, it was it was odd, and I didn't understand it, but I I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so then his boss leaves, and somebody shows up, who I'm not, I'm still not entirely sure who they were, but it's something somebody that the boss, I don't know if the boss is intending to replace him with this guy, but this guy, I think, wants his job. And I'm not sure what the guy's name is because I just wrote him down as John Glover and then just <laughs> kept calling him John Glover. And That's I okay. forgot to go back and find out what his name was. Yeah, he's kind of a, uh, well, this guy is here to take the pressure off you, but Frank Cross sees him as a as a uh, competition for the position. Mm -hmm. Which is probably yeah. how Frank Cross got into that position, so... Mm. I would assume. But yeah, he's like freaking out and he's demanding that Grace stay late to help him figure out who this guy is. And he says she's not allowed to take her son to the doctor because when he works late, she works late. And then he had this whole back and forth about who works late. And he says, and if I don't work late, I don't work late. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of hilarious. But it was another thing like Grace is putting up with way too much. Oh, yeah. But then I think in the end, they didn't work late because I, there was another scene later where she is getting off the train with her son and talking about paying $200 just for the, this guy to tell him that he doesn't talk. So I think she did actually take him to the doctor. Oh, yeah. She told him to, you know, go 
pound sand. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he had a he had um some kind of a humanitarian thing, like a humanitarian. That was another thing. thing I didn't understand. What did he do to earn this humanitarian award? Uh, you know what? <laughs> But the thing is, like, the way you treat people inwardly in your organization versus the outward, you know, like, image you put out there. Yeah. I think that's probably trying to show that part off. Now, obviously, Scrooge, yeah. you know, didn't have that. But given given the position, it's like, oh, well, I donate to charity. I do this. I do that. I'm sure that's probably what it was in relation to. Yeah, probably. But it was kind of funny because, like, on the way to the humanitarian ward, he tricks a lady into stopping long enough to steal her cab. Like an elderly lady. Yep. So she's left on the side of the road while he wins a humanitarian of the year award. <laughs> and then he's, like, giving this touching speech about he gives so much that sometimes it hurts and he has to tell himself to stop it. And then he flicks the ear of the... St- There's a lot of ear flicking in this movie. Which is, is that like yeah. an 80s thing? It was weird. It must be. I remember a couple of times that happening. I don't remember. I, I, I can't list it for you, but I remember as a kid, like seeing a lot of that. Like, I think it happened in Goonies and a couple of others. Hmm. Yeah. It must have been like. Just a thing of that era. Probably like when people started getting like spanking is out. We can't show that anymore. Let's show ear flicking instead. <laughs> I'm just imagining. Like him taking uh, Bobcat Goldlate over his knee and just like spanking him, <laughs> just in the middle of the conference room, they just like 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 grabs and puts him over his knee and starts going to town. It's like ah, that's not quite right. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe if they'd made this a decade or two earlier, they might have done something like that. <laughs> But yeah, he gets this statue and he tells the crowd he's going to treasure it forever. And then he leaves it in the cab on the way home. Yep. As you would expect. <laughs> and somewhere in here, his brother shows up. I, this That's where I figured out his brother was supposed to be the nephew Fred of the story. And he's talking about, he assumes that Frank hates Christmas. But Frank insists that he loves it because it's cold and everyone's at home watching TV. And ad revenue goes up. Not untrue. <laughs> also, actually, funny. Um, that is actually uh, Bill Murray's brother. Like all, all four oh, of the really? his, all three of his siblings that act show up in this movie. Huh. Okay, I didn't know that. Who are the other ones? Um, the one plays his dad, Brian Doyle Murphy or Murray, and the last one was. Oh. Um. Let's see. John plays his on-screen brother. Joel plays one of the guests at John's party where they're playing Trivial Pursuit. No, or whatever they're playing. And Brian plays Bill's on-screen dad. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. The only one that I knew of was Brian Doyle Murray. Because you've seen him. Like, you know, he showed up in a lot of stuff back in the 80s. I recognize him, but for some reason the last name Murray didn't tip me off that it was a relation. I think I he's think Brian. I think he goes by Brian Doyle more than he goes by Brian Doyle Murray. Okay. Because I don't remember seeing him as Brian Doyle Murray, but I do remember him as Brian Doyle. So. Hmm. So after the whole award ceremony, he gets back to his office to be visited by the first ghost, who is a zombie now. 
Well, this is this is his Jacob Marley character. Yes, yes, not not the ghosts of past, present, and future. This is the first, the first like actual ghost of a dead person. It's his old boss, and they went the zombie route, like legit, really gross zombie. They did a great job with it, honestly. Like I was, and yeah. I guess you're talking, you know, late '80s, so that was kind of the height, like. Not that not that good practical effects didn't happen before then, but the makeup was on point. Like especially when the the hanging out of the window scene, mm, it like was so that was gross. Oh yeah, it's dusty and nasty, and the the <laughs> the golf ball. I love. <laughs> it, it was so weird because that the golf ball scene. It was so awful, but the mouse was so cute. <laughs> The mouse living in his head. It was so cute, even though this is horrifying. Yeah, so um he uh so I'm trying to think his name was Lou, I think. Lou Hayward or something like that. Shows up and he was formerly Bill Murray's boss. And he's like, You're gonna be visited by three ghosts, you know. And he goes to pour a drink and he's turned around and out of the back of his head there's a flap that rolls up and a golf ball comes out. And then a mouse comes out from behind the golf ball. <laughs> I, I wonder if he, like, died by getting hit in the head of the golf ball. It's possible. Because otherwise, why would there be a golf ball in his head? Like, with I, an I, actual golf ball-sized hole. I don't know, because it sounded like he died of a heart attack. Like, he said he was on the on the back, or he was on whatever um, green, and then he just, that was all he remembered. So yeah, but that makes sense but, though. But, that it, but it, he could have maybe it's because he didn't see the golf ball coming. It was in the back of his head. How did the mouse get there then? Maybe it's was the mouse riding the golf and ball? It just crawled in <laughs> afterwards after he was buried. You know what? It makes as much sense as having a golf ball stuck in the back <laughs> of your head. We'll go with that. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna go with the idea that the mouse was riding the golf ball and it <laughs> landed in the back of his head. <laughs> I mean, there's so much other weird stuff in this movie that's totally plausible. <laughs> he also, um, Bill Murray, like, shoots him a couple times because he's, like, thinking that it was something, you know, thinking it was a dream or whatever. And Lou goes to take a drink and, you know, the classic Looney Tunes thing where, like, the every single bullet wound, like, you know, you drink something and water sprays out. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that happens here. It's pretty funny. I didn't even think of Looney Tunes. It reminded me. Have you ever seen the movie The Last Unicorn? It's been years, like when I was a kid. There are certain scenes from that movie that have just stuck with me all my life. And there's one of the skeleton who it really wants a drink. And he's like, it's it's almost like played for tragedy. Like he can't drink because he tries and it's just like pouring through his bones. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of, even yeah, though this no. is totally different. No, but I think that, I mean, it, it's in that that kind of morbid, like, oh, let's make fun of the fact that if you drink something, this is going to happen. So, hmm. like, if I ever come back as a zombie, I kind of hope that happens. That <laughs> <laughs> somebody shoots you full of holes so that you spring a leak. Yes. So you can go out <laughs> back and water the grass or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it would be a good way to transport water to plants. Oh, yeah, totally. But they'd have to be strategically placed. Yes. <laughs> I did like the ghost speech, though. It was, like, surprisingly good 
for what this movie is about how mankind should have been this business. It felt like one of the most true to the book parts, though, the way he was talking about how bad he used to be. I would agree. I I think that they translated that very well. And there Mm. are, because it is, it isn't over the top, but it does have those touch points of not real. Sincerity. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, even through this whole speech, Frank is making wise cracks and he's just not listening. And eventually the zombie ghost pushes him magically through the window and his arm breaks off, which was so gross because it was so well done. Oh yeah. It was just so like just dusty and, and you like the subtle sound effects and it was I don't know, I thought it was pretty well done considering. Mm-hmm. And even how they transitioned from that to him waking up or quote unquote mm-hmm. waking up. Yeah. I, I it was interesting how they went between the ghost scenes and the real life scenes. And sometimes I wasn't sure which was real and which wasn't, which probably was the point. I think so, yeah. But yeah, he eventually wakes up and the phone is dialing itself, calling someone named Claire because it ends up on her voicemail and he's like, he leaves a frantic message telling her to call him anytime. And you also, some point in here, after Grace has been on the train with her son, I don't know if it's the same scene or different scene, they get home and her, her family, <laughs> they're trimming the tree which is her son. (laughs) And they're all acting like it's hilarious, but he looks so sad. Oh, he looks miserable. It's just, your heart breaks for him because he's such a cute little kiddo. He's adorable. They literally found, like, the perfect, most adorable child for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just the big puppy dog eyes. And I imagine them telling him, okay, you know, just pretend that you didn't get candy. And, I mean, just the look (laughs) on his face, it was just, oh. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things with any version of a Christmas Carol, the Tiny Tim character, it can either be really well done or not the right child at all. Yeah. This one was really well done. So so him or or um Mary Lou Retton? Him. <laughs> <laughs> She's on the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> but that was on purpose. But but she can do backflips. <laughs> She doesn't just throw down her 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 walking stick or her walking uh, crutches. She does a backflip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, I think it's the next day where he's now finding out that his horrifying ad has killed an old woman, <laughs> and he's ecstatic he, about it. <laughs> yes, he he thinks it's amazing. You can't get publicity like this. And you know what? As sad as it is, there would be execs now and then, and oh, I'm sure any time in history. They, would, they probably get... wouldn't say it as excitedly as he is, but inside they they'd it. be thinking, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because there's no such thing as, like, it takes that classic line about there's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm-hmm. And then he's going down to the set after this, and... <laughs> You get a you get like it's not I don't think it's actually filming the special. I think it's, no, it's, it's probably just, just it's rehearsal. Just yeah. 
but it's it's more like with Buddy Hackett playing Scrooge, and I'm like, I want this to be an actual movie. <laughs> he would have been such a weirdly hilarious Scrooge. This could be like the perfect parody. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think that what they were doing was um, they, like there was their dress rehearsal because it was going on that night. Oh, that's true. This did happen over like the course of a day. Exactly. It or felt thereabouts. longer. It felt yeah. longer. Yeah. No, it definitely did. Well, because you're getting all of those, because with the original Christmas Carol, it happened over three nights, right? Yeah. As compared to like, you go from one to the next to the next. Yeah, they did kind of, they they played with time a little bit, of course, because you have some time travel, but they did, I think they did do it all in one day, because the first one came at noon, which is different, because he usually comes at either midnight or 1 a.m. Yeah. But they had him come at noon the first one which caused a whole bunch of problems which we'll get to that <laughs> but yeah there's more in this scene too though because they have this whole thing that i think is supposed to be funny but i didn't think it was that funny with this network sensor who is like they like almost murder this woman yeah it's not and it, it felt gets... like they were it's like somebody had a vendetta against the network sensor like wouldn't it be hilarious if we had a character who was a sensor and we just like put her through every single horrible thing we can think of yeah it was they like do everything... looney tunes level violence against her oh yeah i mean they do everything short of tar and feathering the poor woman now regarded <laughs> again i do think that it relates back to like some kind of a narrative about you know broadcast tv at that point because Mm -hmm. they do get there are points that they do get a little weird like but that's neither here nor there they definitely went all out for that part and it was a very odd little side thing Mm -hmm. and it was had it not gone on as many times as it did i i don't think it would have been as bad but it just didn't stop it was just like through the whole the whole rest of the movie she just kept having terrible things happen to her but then she got her she got her happy ever after at the end kind of <laughs> but that was weird too i mean yes. we'll get there but that was also weird <laughs> not gonna disagree with you on that one but at one point i thought that they literally killed her because like a whole thing just fell right on her and i yeah. thought i thought that she was dead so yeah i guess and... i guess that's good they didn't actually go out and kill her <laughs> no 100 percent agreed yeah it just it it felt too mean-spirited yeah yeah and there were moments of that kind of stuff in this movie but none of it quite went as far as this yeah and it didn't really add anything to the story and Hmm. it's like one of those little like side plot things that they throw in to be like oh we're making a statement about this but no one is gonna like look at that and go oh yeah they make a point about tv censors yeah no it's that's why i felt like it was some frustrated and or pervy executive who wanted to get away with things he wasn't allowed to get away with so he decided to take it out on a fictional censor oh yeah so at some point in here claire shows up the claire that he called on the phone she's complimenting how grown up he looks because he has much shorter hair than he used to and she seems really nice she does not seem like somebody who would be involved with someone like frank at oh yeah, all. total like like 180 degree from what he is. Mm-hmm. And it's Karen Allen, so all the better. 
What else has she been in? Because I knew I know her from somewhere. Uh, she was in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, so she was um, Raven, uh, okay. uh, Marion Ravenwood. Uh, that's what probably else she... why I recognized her. That's, I that's haven't seen most... years, but that's probably why I recognized her. Yeah, that's the most recognizable thing I think you'd know her from. Probably then. But yeah, she's like super nice. Seeming Seems to have no idea what kind of a person he is. Even though with flashbacks she kind of does so i don't know she's she's like way too forgiving if you ask yeah. me well and she hasn't seen him in 15 years like she's like you call me out of the blue after 15 years so yeah but even then even though he's like he seems like he's trying to be nice around her he he turns around and there's like there's more abuse to that sensor and other people around and she's she sees this happening so she yeah. kind of knows what to expect from him and maybe like again there are there's a lot of stuff in this in this movie that happens because the plot demands that it happen more than anything mm. else yeah. and that's that's not the greatest part of this like yeah the fact that she sticks around is weird but it's it not surprising given it's a movie mm-hmm. and this is where the dormouse thing comes back because there's a dormouse handler I'm pretty sure that's not a dormouse. I think it's just a regular American field mouse. <laughs> but he's he's like trying to figure out how to get antlers to stay on its head. And Frank is like, just staple them on. And Claire is horrified. And then he's like screaming at Grace's son for being on the set. And this is more stuff is like, why is Claire even thinking that this guy is worthy of her attention at all who knows just... you know that's the thing about like and and not that again from a movie perspective there's that that candle of what might have been you know and even when you see them it's like ah, i still like him because of no what's underneath all this weird stuff and mm-hmm. not that it should happen but i'm sure that's probably what they were going for because mm-hmm. she's like give him a chance give him a chance but again i mean that's kind of plays into the her character is a bit one note like you say she's way too forgiving i mean she works at a mm. at a homeless shelter there's there's all of these things that show her to be an incredibly kind person yeah and uh yeah you definitely get that she sees the good in humanity but she can't see past that i guess rose-colored glasses thing yeah so after all this he ends up going to lunch with his boss and this is where he meets John Glover. I don't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> the guy from the elevator in the previous day. They are meeting for lunch at noon, and he suddenly remembers that that's when the ghost said that the first ghost was coming. So I think he thinks at first that he's the ghost. Oh, he totally does, yeah. And he's, like, freaking out. Like, at this point, everybody's... If everybody didn't think he was insane from the way he acted before he saw a ghost, they're definitely starting to think he's gone cuckoo <laughs> for Cocoa Puffs at this point. Because he's like, he sees an eyeball in his drink. He thinks a baked Alaska is burning a man alive. And he's he basically, he, he just, he leaves. He, he's freaking out. He has to leave. He takes a cab and then turns out the cab is driven by the ghost of Christmas past. I think the the cab driver is somebody famous that I don't know. He was like in a rock band or something. Hang on, let me look it up quick here. 
because i know i know you're right it was supposed to be uh david johnson so or johansson so he played he's been in a lot of stuff but nothing that's like stands out um mm-hmm. he was in kick-ass he was in let it ride he was in coda well it was a short from 2005 uh 200 cigarettes oh the adventures of pete and pete from the 80s or 90s um it looks like he did a lot with music yeah okay um he started the new york dolls which i've never heard of me neither <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he's more of a musician than anything else yeah like he he started a lot of stuff but it was like um guest roles so like one episode here or there yeah and there's nothing specific that stands out as like oh he did this or that so anyway they end up in 1955 when frank was four and I loved the scene where the ghost goes through the door and Frank tries and crashes into it. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, I know that the character himself probably isn't the most true to the character of the ghost of Christmas past. No. But I absolutely love the the way that they do it, going back in time and using the cab aspect. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of, there's another one, a more recent made-for-TV movie that I think I've talked about before that I watched with Rachel called A Deepest Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think, But I think in that one, it was the ghost of Christmas present who was this aging rocker oh, okay. in- instead of the ghost of Christmas past, if I remember right. It's been a while since I watched that one. But, yeah, that one's good, too. Anyway. Nice. 1955. <laughs> <laughs> he sees himself as a child where he wanted a choo-choo train but for some reason, his father thinks that a giant pack of veal is an acceptable Christmas present for a four-year-old. <laughs> well, he was—he was a very, very practical uh, butcher guy. I mean, you know. Okay. <laughs> and I can't like so. So I will say this: for as much as I enjoy the the cab going back and and the, even the character to some extent, but the the things that they show that lead him up to like where he ends up it, it's kind of all over the map like it's one of yeah. those points that just doesn't you know with the scrooge it was one consistent path throughout everything that drove him to where he was mm-hmm. but you don't really get that with this it's like no. oh his you know christmas was played down when he was a kid okay great you know, but then he gets the love of a lady and he's brought back and then all of a sudden he's dragged back into this world and the combination just doesn't it doesn't add to where he's at. Yeah. It's kinda of like Anakin Skywalker going from sweet kid to spoiled teen to you know the destroyer of worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't feel natural enough. No, absolutely didn't. I did like some of the lines from various characters in here when He's going through the years like his father <laughs> ranting about why people can't work. My back hurts. My legs ache. I'm only four. <laughs> and Brian Doyle does such a great job with like that kind of a role. Like just, oh, he's so good at that. And then later uh, it was, I keep wanting to call him Scrooge, and Frank himself. I've never liked a girl enough to give her 12 sharp knives. <laughs> That one cracked me up too. <laughs> Even when he's trying to um trying to uh 
like say oh well you know veal is actually super expensive you know it was it was actually a very <laughs> oh, yeah. practical gift making excuses for his father yeah exactly or like they come up to the house and he's like oh i guess dad didn't decorate the house yet for christmas and it's like nah nah <laughs> so <laughs> it's christmas eve <laughs> exactly pretty sure he's not gonna decorate by now <laughs> but yeah you've you've gone through the years he has claire as a girlfriend at some point he meets her at a Christmas party, or no, he leaves a Christmas party and meets her outside of it. And then a year later, they're living together. And then a few more years later, it it didn't, you never saw anything that had them fall apart. You saw the beginning of their relationship and the end of the relationship. So it never felt like you got any good closure as to why they drifted apart. Because at the end of their relationship he's working on like the most obnoxious children's television show ever (laughs) he's like in this giant dog costume and he's like making out with the person in a giant bone costume (laughs) he's kind of like barney but set in the like set in probably the early 80s i would assume and i I took it 70s or 80s i forget i forget the year exactly i'm sure it's set on screen it's probably more like banana splits like like from that era the one thing that Actually, i it might I, have been 68 i think it did say oh uh, okay 68 okay that would make sense given the era um i will say that like their their falling apart thing was probably because he kept choosing work like you could see when he was probably. at the christmas party he was the only guy still working when everybody else was into debauchery and such and mm-hmm. then they jump forward to where he's playing the dog and, and that's such a weird sentence <laughs> 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 it jumps forward to playing the dog and they're talking about how oh we're going over to such and so's place for christmas and he's like ah, i gotta do this and that like he takes up going to dinner with the boss to to move him his career forward as mm-hmm. compared to spending time with his people so yeah and then at some point it transitions from him seeing this in real life to watching it on tv and he's suddenly back on set where the fictional Scrooge is happening. And then he's freaking out because they're working on the scene where Belle leaves Scrooge. So he's yelling at everybody because he's reminded of like his own similar scene. And he's talking about how nobody could be as nice as Claire was without having somebody to hide. So he's going to go find her at the charity that she works at. And you also get another scene in here where, like, he's going to the charity, but, like, you have Loudermilk throughout this whole movie, like, in the background, like, getting drunk. Or in this case, he's given so much blood that he just collapses outside the <laughs> blood drive thing. Because they're, and then like, he gets paying robbed. so much a pint. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Somebody, like, comes up and is, like, patting him down and looking in his pockets. Yeah, he's... <laughs> anything bad that could happen to him happens to him yeah it's basically worse than the poor censor just not i was just gonna say it it is kind of similar to the treatment given to the censor except i don't know why i did i just found hers to be more mean-spirited than his oh well it is totally like there there's a reason for his character like the way things come back around for his character yes definitely it makes sense the 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 stuff that's done to the censor is just 
done to the sensor. There's no yeah. rhyme or reason. It's like Wiley e. Coyote getting hit constantly with like, you mm. know, an anvil or rock or whatever. Yeah. So he makes his way to the shelter and with all of his ranting and raving, because he doesn't stop ranting and raving. <laughs> he really doesn't. <laughs> and that's why they bring him into the shelter because they think he's yeah, delusional. They think he's some kind of homeless vagrant. Despite his attire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. And Claire, for some reason, is ready to forgive him right away. And he wants to take her out, but then there's this problems, there's like fuse problems and like turkey delivery problems, and she needs to go fix things because she's in charge. And he's yelling about how she needs to fire all these people, but they're actually volunteers. <laughs> and it's like, I'm still questioning why she's even talking to this monster and you have every right to question it because yeah he's he's not exactly the nicest person so so there's a lot of stuff that happens throughout this that from a from a perspective of that moment probably made a ton of sense but like in retrospect you look at it and kind of scratch your head he starts doing richard burton impersonations to a bunch of like to this group of, of homeless people that are sitting there yeah, I didn't understand what was going on with the homeless people. Okay, so that actual bit was based on a Saturday Night Live skit from 1977 where he imitated Richard Burton's like dramatic scenes. But it's such a little east okay. like it's such a it's such a like a niche thing to know. Um there's another line earlier when he's in the restaurant and he thinks the guy catches fire and then he like pours the water all over the guy. There was a thing about, because he says, oh, I thought you were Richard Pryor. There was something that happened with Richard Pryor where he ended up like catching himself on fire and running down the street and someone hosed him down to put him out. <laughs> like, it's such a okay. weird, like there's, there's, because a lot of that, his. That's a very specific it is reference very. that it seems like, why would you put that in a movie that's going to be watched probably many, many, many more times than SNL? in the I, 80s i have no idea but a lot of bill murray's stuff was ad-libbed so that's probably oh, you know okay. that that could have been the best take that they came with i'm honestly not sure i'm sure it probably was hilarious at the time i just not understanding what they're talking about i i didn't get it yeah well and again i think that's kind of a thing of 80s movies there's so much and not that, I mean, you look at Marvel movies and all of the back and forth that happens between the connected movies and stuff, but you take that and put it in the 80s with this one movie and that's probably what you get kind of a similar feel. Mm. Like there's probably a reason that they went with, you know, Robert Goulet's, um, you know, old Cajun style Christmas or, you know, <laughs> Lee Majors, you know, defending Santa against, you know, unknown threats. Yeah, because, well, even the, <laughs> the Santa thing, I, I guess that is a very specific reference, but it's still done in such a way that it's hilarious and semi-timeless enough yeah. so that I want this to be an actual movie. <laughs> Even though I've never seen the $60 million man or know who this guy is, I still like the idea <laughs> of this. I agree. I think it'd be hilarious. Like, can you imagine Vin Diesel in that role now? <laughs> <laughs> about family santa we don't leave anyone behind <laughs> he shoots off a rocket launcher and then they take off <laughs> and santa is played by the rock 
<laughs> well, it would be a way to have them both on camera again, being that neither one of them really want to work with each other. Oh, no. Oh, God, this is, we totally need to make this happen just for that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe nothing like that has happened. Yeah. Barack would be a great Santa. Oh, he'd be tremendous. I bet someday he will be. <laughs> I would, Considering everything he does, I would not be surprised. He's been the tooth fairy, so he can be Santa. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> one other thing to note when he's with the homeless people, like, they do come, well, one of them specifically does come back around later on, so. Yeah, but I wasn't sure if he was important. Like, it seemed like maybe he Not... recognized him, but was it because he recognized him from the homeless shelter, or is it because he knew him prior to that? No, I'm I pretty wasn't sure... sure how familiar he was with these people he was talking to. That was another I... thing that confused me about the whole scene. I'm pretty sure that it was literally just like they're just homeless people that were like that that he got sat down next to, and they're like, "Do Richard Burton, do Richard Burton," and then he starts doing that. So he forms that kind of like it's supposed to be him forming a bond with these people. Okay, you know, because he was able to make them laugh, and being that that was. He did have a gift for making people laugh that was around to some extent with um, Claire and other people Mm -hmm. when he wasn't being, you know, real slimy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. There's another scene here, too, where after he's down at the homeless shelter, he heads back and he walks in on a scene where the John Glover character is trying to explain to Buddy Hackett that he needs to call all the raggedy street children street urchins, not sea urchins. Oh, that was good. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the end of, I don't know, the end of the day or the end of that, I don't know, that they the lights all go out essentially so he's left alone and suddenly there's this fairy there who is the ghost of christmas present which i thought was kind of interesting because it's kind of the opposite of the way a lot of versions do the ghost of christmas present because usually they make the ghost of christmas past sort of ethereal and fairy like because mm-hmm. in the book they're likened to a candle flame so that's why the uh. Ghost of Christmas Past is usually kind of like a fairy. But they have the fairy version be the Ghost of Christmas Present. And I'm not sure if she grows or if she's always human size because I thought she was tiny at the beginning, but then she's the same size as him later on. Not that it matters anyway, but I just thought that was interesting. I kind of love Carol Kane in this role. She's so just like, she's so I loved her. Oh my God. And the bubbles at the start, it's like so sugary sweet. And all of a sudden she kicks him in the face. (laughs) Well, she kicks him in the crotch and then punches him in the face. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. (laughs) She punches him in the face a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And when she was so violent, it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and the poor thing, like she didn't, um, so she grabs his lip. She actually tore it so badly the filming had to be halted. Oh. And also she felt really, really bad about um like beating him up. I could I could see that. But I did I did kind of love it because he had it coming. <laughs> oh he totally <laughs> he needed did. somebody to put him in his place. Oh yeah. 
I would Some, 100% somebody, like, agree. And he, it's not like you can beat up a fairy back, so <laughs> <laughs> he just had to take it. The wings, too, my God. They were so goofy. It's like... <laughs> Like they were like so DIY. Crinkly cellophane. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and the way she gets him from place to place is she basically knocks him out and then he wakes uh-huh. up in whatever scene. Yeah, I love that. It's gloriously violent, but in the greatest of ways. Like it's the exact <laughs> like opposite it's of. Like super violent, but so cute at the same time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that totally <laughs> matches who she is. Like she's just, she's got this little tiny, like sweet voice, and all of a sudden she just. You sucker know, punch clocks him, him. yeah <laughs> oh awesome anyway continue <laughs> yeah so she's sucker punches them and they end up at grace's house watching grace and her family and he's wondering what's wrong with her son and this is where you get the explanation that her son has not spoken for five years ever since he saw his father killed and Frank is like, oh, I didn't know her husband was dead. And she was like, she wore black for a year. Well, I just thought it was a fashion thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and he is definitely that kind of spacey to yeah. not, or that, that unaware to, to, it was, if that was ad lib, that was a great line. I mean, yeah. it was goofy as hell, but it fit his persona very well. Yeah, definitely. And then you get more, ear flicking in this scene like a lot more because she's talking about how poor they are and like it's his fault because obviously it's his fault and right. he says he'll he'll check his records so that maybe she's due for a raise and then she's just like flicking his ear and then it's like there's electrical buzzing sounds it's like she's zapping him <laughs> until he finally submits he's like yeah she'll get a raise or something like that mm-hmm. eventually she says it's time to move on to the next place. She punches him in the face and he ends up falling down a flight of stairs <laughs> where there's a dog that can see him, not any people. And they're at his brother's house. And I think it's his wife. And I'm pretty sure it's Wendy Malick playing yep. his wife. And he doesn't want to go in because he says it looks like a beer commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another line that I just, I loved she grabs his tie, the fairy grabs his tie and says, don't vex me, Frank, or I'll fix your mouth so it won't hold soup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's so good. So good. Oh, I loved her. <laughs> and we're like just in time for him to open his present from his brother, which from the scene at the beginning of the movie, you know, is supposed to be a towel but this is a huge box and Frank is like, that doesn't look like a towel. And it's actually a VCR. And he's talking about As now it his, be. his ex-secretary mixing up the gifts, but then he eventually relents and says, no, he can keep the VCR. And that there's actually a great line that comes back around to the VCR at the end of the show as, or the end of the movie as well. So, And after this, party the fairy tells him it's time to go and he doesn't want to go so she takes a toaster and smashes him in the face with it again i i have no remorse for her doing that no yeah he he winds up in a sewer and 
I, this part kind of confused me too because he yells, "Where am I, Trump Tower?" And <laughs> the the place is like awful looking. And I, I guess I thought that like back in the day, Trump Tower was like a good thing, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's always been not seen as a nice place. I think that to some extent, like Trump has always had that stigma about him. Well, I guess I, know, I guess I knew that people of New York didn't like him because he would, I don't, did he, I don't know if he would use eminent domain, but I know he would, he bought out a ton of people that he like took over a lot of things. So maybe it was just a dig at him for that. Oh, I'm sure. I think that's probably, I, I think that he's always had some of that stigma about him. Like, reg- yeah. And being that it was, you've got a lot of New York folks that would probably make sense. Yeah. I just, I guess, in my head, pre-presidency, his his towers were known for being opulent. So when he wound up in a sewer and yelled, where am I, Trump Tower? That was kind of confusing. <laughs> maybe the cold, because it was when he was in, like, maybe the, the cold aspect, or it could have just been the fact that it was a sewer aspect. I'm not sure, but it could just be like it was a cold, like, you know, like emotionally cold place to work. I'm not sure. But yeah, I it think. It could be. I could, it probably was that combination. Like there are those people that always have that, that sense about them regardless. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's probably what it was. Cause there are a lot of jokes in here that are very like, again, kind of Easter eggy where, you know, if you know the joke, then you're going to laugh. If you don't, you're just going to go like, oh, well, you know, (laughs) yeah, weird joke, but moving on. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot like that that i didn't get and if you didn't get it we're completely missing (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm sure that there's a lot i didn't get like just because you know you're you're young at that point and or around at all so yeah but then in the sewer he sees a guy who has frozen to death across the room and it's the guy that he met at the homeless shelter earlier and at this point this is one of those scenes where i was like I couldn't tell what was real and what was not real because even though like with the ghost of Christmas present, even though you're seeing the present, it's still sort of the future because it happens before Christmas and everything that he sees will be happening the next day. Right. So I didn't know if this was something that actually had happened, like this guy froze to death or if this was something that he could change Later, I got my answer, but this is one of those things where I was confused at the time as to what was real and what was not. Yeah, presence is kind of a present time is kind of a relative term. Yeah. So there's a door in the sewer, like up some stairs, and he ends up breaking through it and he winds up in the room where the filming is taking place. And Again, I'm wondering, does, does that door, is there a door in that room, in the, the stage, that leads to the sewer, or is this more Christmas magic? I would assume, I took it as Christmas magic, like it's showing you that one last thing of, you know, what happens in that sewer, like, I have thoughts on for later, but yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, I, I'm pretty sure that that was still part of the Christmas magic. Okay. But yeah, he causes more mayhem here. He 
crushes the already crushed sensor again. Yep. And he's acting so insane that the John Glover characters basically makes Grace take him away, get him to his office. And then they try to take an elevator where the actor in costume as the ghost of Christmas present for the Scrooge special is getting off. But he's like freaking out thinking that it's there for him. You mean the ghost of Christmas future? Future, yes. The one that looks like death. Yep. That was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Agreed. He, uh, his, his scream was like when, um, in home alone, when Marv, um, <laughs> like, like touches the, the, um, the battery cable with the, with the faucet and just goes, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. It is totally that like the, just the, the combination of the two. It's like, yeah, it's pretty much the same scream. So he goes back to his office. He makes himself a really horrible looking drink, which I think it was one that Grace had made him before, but he did not do it the same. <laughs> he, he was using a Tab, which was an 80s drink, Yep. which I don't it's know like if a... I've ever had. I know they brought it back when I was a teenager, and I don't remember if I ever tried it, but I remember people saying it was awful. It was sort of so. So the, there's actually kind of a little, at least from what I saw, kind of a running joke with that with that whole drink being made because it is made throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, and it starts off with you know. I wonder if it was a, a relative, placement. Uh, to some extent, but I took it more as because it started out as you know a reasonably mixed drink, like it was say fifty fifty, and Tab was like a diet soda. It, it wasn't like Diet Coke or Pepsi, but it was in that realm, like. That was what you drank if you wanted to to drink pop but lose weight. Okay. So that was kind of its go-to thing. Um, but as the movie went along, by the time he got to the end, he was like, you know, nine-tenths vodka and just enough tab to change the color from clear to just a little bit brown. Okay. Maybe, so as, maybe that was on purpose then. I just thought he was just doing a really bad job at making his drink. He was, but it was done as a, he's slowly losing his mind and yeah. he's trying to get drunk quicker okay. or he can't keep his ratios right because he's so out of his mind. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking. Cause it was just like the tiniest trickle. Yep, exactly. And that's why that happens. It's kind of a progression, I guess. But yeah, he, he makes his drink and then he opens the present from his brother and it's a picture frame that his brother had made of themselves as children. And then you also get a scene of his boss watching the special as it's airing and he's just like, he's so happy with the door mice. He's like, I knew this was a good idea. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the place is filled with cats. Like yeah. there's so many cats in this house. It's <laughs> it <was> great. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I loved it. And then I really liked the beginning of the scene, and I wish it would have gone on, even though I do like how it changed. But you have Frank watching the special as it's airing, too. And you have this wall of TVs behind him that previously they played all different things. But this time, it's like different camera angles, I believe, from mm -hmm. the special happening. Exactly. And then the Ghost of Christmas future is in the corner, and he, like, turns, and he looks directly at frank and then he's like slowly filling up all of the tvs oh, yeah. and then he's reaching out i was like this is like one of the best 
creepy versions of this scene. Like I now I want this to happen for real in another version <laughs> where there's like a giant ghost of Christmas future reaching out and grabbing Scrooge. That would be amazing. Oh, it was so creepy. Like it genuinely was like I remember watching it as a kid and being terrified by that. Oh, that would that would be so great if it actually could happen. Oh yeah. And it, and the way they do going forward with with the Ghost of Christmas Future, the way that they play him out those first couple scenes is uh, amazing. The there's some things that I was not expecting with that that I, I I was it's like simultaneously really creepy but like really well done. Oh yeah, one hundred percent agreed. But he doesn't get grabbed; he gets interrupted by. <laughs> louder milk coming in with a shotgun (laughs) he wants revenge for him ruining his life because he's ranting about how he's he was fired and then his wife left him and then i couldn't tell quite what he said he said either she took our little baby daughter or our little baby dog (laughs) and if he said dog that's hilarious it's it's more sad if he said daughter but if he said dog that's hilarious My guess is daughter, but who the hell knows? Probably, but I love the idea of him saying she took our little baby dog. We'll say dog just for to make to make you happy. <laughs> and he ends up almost getting shot, but then he falls into the elevator because it opens at the last second, and he winds up going down with the ghost, who this time he now is assuming is the one from his special. But it's not. And even even after he reveals that it's not, he's still not convinced. Because the ghost opens his robe and you see, like, his bones. And there's, like, tortured souls inside his ribcage. <laughs> which... It's very Muppet-esque. Kind of, but they're like... They're like Uncanny Valley. Like, you can tell they're not people. They're like rubber masks. But they're so well done that it's so close that you almost can't tell. True. It's like, it was really well done and really creepy. And then he, he, he just nonchalantly says, did our people do that? We're going to get a phone call. <laughs> well, and he looks twice. He looks once and then it shuts and then he thinks about it. And then he looks again. <laughs> like it's such a great moment of comedy and oh. terror at the same time with that. But then I also liked how the ghost's face would change like a television yep. to reveal like other weird faces and creepy faces. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, it was just, it was really well done. It was different than any other ghost of Christmas Future that I've seen, and I really liked it. Of the three ghosts, I think that one is the most well-realized. I Probably. My favorite is Present, just because I love how hilarious and cute and violent she is. But as far as, like, costume design and creepy factor, Future wins by a mile. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all three ghosts, I think, were relatively strong. Even um, uh, Lou Hayward was pretty good. Like, all all of the ghosts were excellent. Like, they were probably some of the strongest stuff in this movie. Yeah. But then the elevator starts going a million miles an hour, and it opens, and he finds himself in some kind of room with hallways and he ends up at like a padded room and grace is there visiting her son 
who I guess grew up and went crazy. I'm not sure exactly what happened. They don't it's really, not really say. Explained. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I, I don't know if the silence, like if he was, you know, made fun of so much where it drove him to that or what. But yeah, it's it's left very vague. And mm. I mean, everything about his, everything about her kid is left very vague yeah. just in the terms of that. So. But another thing I didn't really understand is why she was dressed like Mary, like Jesus's mother. Or is that what she was supposed to be? Because she was wearing something that looked like super, super old fashioned, like a gown with a hood. And in the future, the, the whole everything about the future was very dramatic and very like you look at Claire in the future and she's got the, the very heavy makeup and the the scene is all black and white. So I think they were going mm. for super abstract. Yeah, because, yeah, every scene was very striking in some way. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's probably what, like, not that you don't, not that the scenes for the future of normal Scrooge, normal Scrooge is aren't, you know, dramatic, but I think they were really aiming to, to knock him over the head to say, okay, this is your last chance to see what the future holds if you continue on this path. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was probably like it because everything else about um, Frank had to be dramatic. Like you look at the promo for Christmas Carol that he put together. Yeah. It was over the top. It was very dramatic and very, you know, all of those things. I think mm -hmm. that the only way to get through to him was to do something like that in a very, very striking way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah, we go on to Claire next, and it's very striking. She and some other ladies are all dressed in black and white. They're like rich socialites now. It's so much so, I didn't even recognize her. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't know that that was Claire until one of them called her by name. And you see a bunch of poor children outside, and Claire is refusing to help. And she cites a line that Frank had used earlier about, she her, she needs to save herself and no one else. I thought it was interesting that this is kind of a weird connection to make to another version of A Christmas Carol, which is Barbie's Christmas Carol. <laughs> because <laughs> even though it's not the same, the same character, in the Barbie Christmas Carol, the Cratchit character ends up becoming like Scrooge in future. Oh, and this, this is the Belle character, not the Crash character. But I thought it was interesting that they took that route and made another character end up becoming Scrooge or Scrooge-like in the future. Well, and it goes to show that, you know, what you do does influence people. Yeah. I, I also liked, and I know, like, they were trying to show some age range on this. Like, it never says how far it is in the future. But as compared to like, you know, giving her like aging her up, they just kind of like put on the white makeup and the, you know, kind of made everything very sharp and angular. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that they did that to kind of show the progression of time. I thought yeah. that was smart. They also made like, I guess, adding to this, the striking factor, everything looked semi-futuristic. It's in, in mostly notable in the scene where he sees his casket which True. he first mistakes for his brother's casket because he sees i think he calls her wendy so wendy malick 
is playing a character named Wendy. Mm-hmm. And that's and, his wife, yeah. Yeah, he thinks that she's there for his brother's funeral, but then his brother walks in, and then he's freaking out, wondering who's in the casket. And this room that they're in is, it's like empty. It's like a spaceship almost. It's so weird, and I liked it. But there's this, there's like a wall that has an opening that's full of fire because I guess he's going to be cremated. And then he's freaking out, and suddenly he's somehow inside the casket, and he doesn't. He's screaming, he doesn't want to die, and he's now he's burning alive. And then suddenly he's back in the elevator, and he's screaming for joy that he's alive. But the, he's back where he started with louder milk there with a shotgun, <laughs> saying not for long. <laughs> But then he turns it around and he like grabs him and he's kissing him and telling him that he's hiring him back at twice his normal salary. And then he just has to help him do a whole bunch of illegal stuff. So I don't know how they're going to get out of this because that's never explained. No. <laughs> they basically hijack the station after this. Like well, you know, it... using the shotgun. So oh, yeah. <laughs> super illegal. I will also add that um, Frank kind of turns things on on Loudermilk. Like he he kind of takes on just that absolutely crazy role. Like he and he yeah. kind of pulls what the what the Ghost of Christmas Present did. Like he just beats the crap out of poor Loudermilk. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, I mean, a lot of versions will have Scrooge basically go crazy the second he reforms. So I just thought that they were taking this and ramping that up. Oh, the, totally the case. Are, you are correct that Loudermilk got some more abuse during the scene. <laughs> Even though he was getting his twice his normal salary, he also had to take some abuse to get there. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so yeah, they hijack the station. The John Glover character is eventually tied up and left with the censor character which apparently is <laughs> thrilling for her for some reason. I don't and, know. I got nothing on that one. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I... <laughs> Happy Christmas. Maybe there was some mistletoe that was just out of scene. I think there was mistletoe there. I think that was part of it. But there was not really any indication that they were an item before that. So oh, they totally know. weren't. It, she was taking advantage of a situation. Yeah. Which, given everything that had happened to her to that point, I don't know, I'm guessing they were trying to, like, say, oh, well, you know, we beat the crap out of this poor lady, but we're going to let her get her, you know, kiss on at the end or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It I got really no weird. idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, that. I mean, the character, um, the John Glover character had some reason for being there, but yeah. the level to which they took him, it was overplayed, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they interrupt the whole entire program. He takes over, starts apologizing to people, but he's also kind of insulting people and he's ranting and raving. And it's it's weird because it's sort of like he's changed for the better, but it's also sort of like he hasn't changed at all. Agreed. Which I kind of liked. <laughs> because... It feels more realistic, given how over-the-top terrible he was, 
to have him suddenly be a really sweet, nice, giving, loving character, fully reformed in just one night, that was too much. That would be too much to believe from this particular version of Scrooge, for me anyway. Oh, agreed. No, I agree. And I think um, you take him back to what he was, you know, earlier on in his career, he did still have some of those attributes. And we've seen him, like with the Humanitarian Award, you saw him be, you know, that sugary sweet, oh, I do so much for humanity kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. So I do agree with you. I, I I hadn't thought about that point before, but you're right. I totally right on that. So one other thing too, like with the VHS player that his brother has, and this is a really random little point, but I thought it was kind of cool. Um, they're watching um, uh, Frank Cross on TV kind of talking about like how he brings out the picture of his brother. And he's like, oh, look at this picture. Mm-hmm. And I think I think um, his brother's wife says, oh, hey, honey, you should be recording this. And he's like, well, I got a VCR. I should be or something like that. So yeah, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a fun little playback or a little callback. He also, in this whole thing, says that he sent him a towel, and he said the VCR was from Grace. Ah, cool. And at one point, he ends up making out with some random lady who was part of this dance team that I have no idea why they had this dance team in what was supposed to be like a straight-up Dickens adaptation. (laughs) Sex appeal. (laughs) I guarantee you sex appeal. It was like a hip hop dancer. <laughs> like there was a guy like doing like hip hop coaching or something. I don't know. It was very random, but <laughs> he's, I don't remember why he's making it with her specifically, but probably because she comes by and he's just like, you know, being Bill Murray. Probably. But then he's like talking to the camera saying that he wishes it were Claire and he's talking about her and she's watching on TV also. And she ends up running out of the building while all her co-workers are, like, cheering her on. And she hails a taxi to get there, and the ghost of Christmas past is the one who picks her up. And then Because, of course. He, he continues ranting. Like, this goes on for quite a while. It does. It, it goes on for way too long. Yeah. It's ridiculous that no one stops him, because he's, he's taken over the airwaves. Like, literally. They have a shotgun. There should be police involved. But (laughs) he's ranting about how Christmas Eve is a miracle and everybody needs to have this miracle. And he he sounds completely unhinged. But for some reason, everybody watching seems like they're so touched by it, which I don't really understand. He's like literally gone crazy. Yeah. But then just put it this way. Scrooge did it better. Oh, there's a lot of a lot of did better. (laughs) true i i i'm not saying that because i dislike this movie. there's a lot i do like about this movie but there's this whole end scene is just like so yeah it is definitely the weakest <laughs> part like of all the stuff both good and bad this whole bit is by and large the weakest segment and for all of the professionals that worked on this it should have it should have been something that was a red light of okay we need to trim this mm, yeah the one part that I really did like about the end, though, was after he's done with all of his ranting, Grace's son comes up and is looking up at him like he's expecting something. And he's like, ask, did I forget anything? And he's nodding. And then he whispers Tiny Tim's line, God bless us, everyone, which he'd heard the Mary Lou Retton version of the character say earlier. Aww. 
And Yay. that that kind of got me because this kid is adorable. Oh yeah, and... he is just the most like just just the yeah. And you get course... diabetes from how cute he is. <laughs> yeah, and Grace is like overjoyed that he actually spoke some real words. And then Claire shows up. She apparently was not whisked away to the past by the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> well, that was nice of him. And he introduces her to the camera. And then Grace starts singing, Put a Little Love in Your Heart. I think that's what the song is called. Yep. And I never thought about it before, but at least lyrics-wise, that's kind of a perfect Christmas song. Like, it really is. I, I, I'm surprised nobody has like turned it into one like with like soft bells in the background or whatever. Oh, that would have been be, really cool. It would cool. be a perfect. It would be a perfect Christmas song if somebody wanted to make it one. <laughs> no, I but, would agree. But then the whole studio is start singing along, and then all the ghosts show up, including the guy who had frozen to death. So he, it wasn't fake. He actually was there, and the guy was actually dead. And it looks like he's being escorted to heaven by the by the fairy because he's like <laughs> dressed like her with complete with the crinkly cellophane wings. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's the best way to go. But I just that whole bit felt tacked on. Like the fact that, oh, you know, because you keep expecting because I had completely forgotten about that part until I went back and watched it, you know, for this. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he wasn't not that you can save everybody, but the fact that he wasn't in some way, shape, or form saved, I don't know. It just it didn't add anything to the thing. There wasn't any great, there wasn't any great attraction, you know, or or reason for that character. You know, it wasn't like that was a redeeming moment for Frank Cross by any stretch. No, and they probably but maybe just thought it'd be funny to put him in a cellophane fairy costume. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it was one of those things like it's supposed to like because they kind of threw everything at the wall to get frank cross to be like hey hey you're doing bad things change your ways Uh i don't know maybe that was the point but maybe but the the one last detail that i kind of loved was that with all the ghosts are all starting to sing too even the the like trapped souls inside the ghost of christmas future (laughs) (laughs) and they're trying to make everybody up in the booth sing louder too (laughs) For for all the things that I did not like about the end, the very last part of it I did like, because it was just got really weird and hilarious. Oh yeah, what did you think of um, the camera? Kind of zooms in on Bill Murray, and he says, "Feed me, Seymour." I didn't understand it, but I loved it. <laughs> like <laughs> well, what? <laughs> exactly. Well, then that being that Bill Murray was in that movie, I that's think why... that's what they were why they did it but i was like what did that have to do with this movie absolutely nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was it was a nice callback to our podcast i guess but as far as this movie goes it it didn't really make sense for it to be there absolutely not i was just looking when that came out okay so little shop came out in 86 this came out in 88 okay So, so yeah so it was kind of like he did a couple other things. He did um, an unaccredited role um, in 88 as well. But that was really the last thing that he did was the the thing in Little Shop. Hmm. So I'm sure that's probably why that was there. And being that this was recorded, well, this was started um, being filmed at the end of 87. But even then, you've got two years between 
little shop and and scrooged Mm -hmm. but i thought that you would get a kick out of the fact that that was in there so yeah it was a weird surprise (laughs) so yeah that's scrooged like i said i have i have mixed feelings i liked a lot of it but a lot of it was like kind of it didn't feel christmasy it was like kind of mean-spirited yeah and not that i mean scrooge ver scrooge is a mean-spirited character but it didn't feel like his transformation was sincere enough to give you the feels i don't know i agree i agree i think i think too just the nature of this one because it was i mean it was a very cynical movie like looking at kind of like the notion of you know big broadcasters and you know kind of that heartfelt stuff but i think to that to some extent that era and not that you didn't have you know you know warm fuzzies then but i think that they were aiming to make something that was kind of in that realm probably you know it was still even though he's reformed he's still the same guy and not that it was even remotely realistic but i think too that played into it so Mm -hmm. yeah I think that this was a decent movie and a good twist on the story. I don't know how how much I would return to this one for rewatches. I would probably rewatch scenes of it because there's some good scenes in here. But as far <laughs> as sitting down and watching the whole thing straight through beginning to end, I don't feel like I would do that just by myself. Maybe if somebody else wanted to watch it, I'd be okay with that. But I could see that. It's, it doesn't feel like one that i personally would want to own and rewatch and rewatch i get you i think that's that is the most even way to look at this movie like i i kind of feel i watch have watched this several times but it's for those specific scenes it's seeing i guess that nostalgia of like that 80s kind of like the the way that goes like the stuff at the open with the with the trailers and Mm -hmm. you know seeing like the the way that the ghosts are set up like there are the things that are good about this movie are very good, but the rest is kind of eh. But I yeah. guess I try to look past a lot of the, the eh stuff mm-hmm. because I do enjoy like all of the ghosts. I, I just love, I think they're so cool. Yeah. They did have some good ghosts in this, even the ones that were gross. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They were, they were good in the way that they were very well done. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not a zombie fan, but like that thing was really well done. Really oh yeah gross. yeah they did a great job with that and it made an impression like if oh, if definitely. he would have and not that you would have had him come in jacob marley style you know with chains and and the money boxes and stuff but they did a really good job interpreting that for an 80s audience yeah i really liked how they had him like dragging the golf club set behind him instead of like money boxes and chains mm-hmm. and of course golf ball and mouse in the back of his head was a nice <laughs> yeah. touch too yes and even when he took off the glasses and no eyes, like that was yeah. a creepy detail. Yeah, like I said, it was really gross, but really well done. <laughs> well, I suppose that's all I've got to say about Scrooged. Do you have any last thoughts? Not really. I guess, you know, if you have run into a cab with an ex- extreme amount of Christmas decor and lots of smoke building up around it, do not get in said cab because you'll probably go on a ride that you won't return from. That's always good advice. Yeah, I, I find that it's helped me a couple of times over the course of my life. <laughs> okay, well, 
I think that's going to be all for this episode. <laughs> Do you want to let people know where they can find you in the future? Absolutely. You can find me on uh, on YouTube at Trivial Theater. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Trivia underscore Chick. Okay. I will have those linked below and we will probably see you again probably next right. year. I think this is going to be our last one for this year, but I don't I blame you we there. have some <laughs> ideas for the future. So. Well, and, and what a thing to end on for 2021. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I guess we will see you next year. Until then, Jonathan, it's always a pleasure. Merry Christmas and Happy Life Day. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this special Christmas episode of the podcast. If you like what you've heard, then don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. And of course, make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. And we'll see you soon for another brand new episode of the show. Thanks for listening and Merry Christmas. <laughs>